Luke 11 is what will be. Um, I don't know many people that can tell me um, that they have a really good prayer life. I, I just don't have that many people. Most of the people that I know that do are older. Um, but in Luke 10, you see Jesus really emphasizes prayer. Um, he tells the disciples to pray for laborers. He says the harvest is plentiful. Laborers are few, and we need to pray for laborers that um, many laborers will be sent out. So in order for the gospel to even go out, we need to be praying that the gospel would go out. And so the Father, he asked us to ask him to pray. It's a pretty amazing thing that we're a part of um, seeing the gospel transform hearts and lives among the nations because we pray. So I think prayer is an essential uh, for a believer. Uh, we ought to have a prayer life. And so why do we have so much a hard time praying? And that's my question because it seems like for me, um, I'll, get, I'll get started and I'll start to pray and um, I get really distracted. Um, I might fall asleep, right? Anybody fall asleep praying? Um, you might start thinking about um, all the weak struggles and the weak challenges. Why in the world God would allow a three-point basket to go in at the buzzer? Like, why would that happen? And, um, and you, start, you start really, it starts happening. It starts working. And then sometimes you even just fall into sinful thoughts. You know, you start praying for somebody. And you're like, I don't really like them, God. Right? And you start having these thoughts. And then some, sometimes we just freak out. We, we freak out because we're like, am I saying the right things? And so then we start kind of wondering if we're even praying to anything. Have you ever been in that moment of, is anybody listening to me? Like, am I really, you know, do you ever do that? You're just praying. You're like, is this a waste of my time? Like, what am I doing, you know? And then you kind of go fall back on cliches, you know? Jesus is my best friend or and he walks with me, and he talks right with me. And you just, oh, he listens, right? And I always, when I heard that, by the way, I, um, I didn't grow up in church as a kid. I came later, and uh, when I heard that song when I was a little kid, and I started first going to church, um, I always wondered who Andy was. I was like, Andy walks with me? Um, but, so, and then we get into theological problems with prayer, um, because we see places where he's like, ask anything. And we're like, Anything? And then later, it's like, ask anything according to my will. And you're like, well, what, what is it? What, how, do we, how do we do this? And, and so I think we get really, we get really mixed up uh, when it comes to prayer. We get really distracted. Um, we get really sidetracked. And, and, and honestly, we think it should be easy. And it's hard work, isn't it? It's really hard work. And so um, what if I were to tell you this morning that maybe part of the problem is our understanding might be a little bit skewed in prayer. What if I were to say that? And what if I were to say, maybe, it, maybe we've just made it all about something that it's not. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want us to grasp really the foundation of why we pray, because I think that will help us understand the, the importance of it and help us understand the privilege of it, all right? So let's look here um, in the text in Luke 11. Luke 11, it says this. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And so you remember this. Um, Jesus would often go and he would pray and he would get overwhelmed by crowds and crowds of people. At this point, Jesus is, uh, has crowds and crowds of people following him and he would get exhausted. And so this shows you that Jesus is 100% man. He's 100% God. This is him showing his uh, humanity that he needs rest. He needs to pray. And so... 
He says he goes to a place, and when he finished, one of the disciples said, Lord, uh, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Notice the humble approach here. Um, All of us can admit, I think all of us can admit, say, man, I really have a hard time praying, so who, who is a better person to ask than Jesus? So the disciples go, Lord, teach us how to pray. We don't know how to pray. And then they, also, they bring back this idea as John taught his disciples. So here's what I want to show you. They recognized that there was something different that John the baptizer, was his disciples prayed a specific way. You know, they're like, help us pray like that crazy guy who, who wore weird clothes and ate bugs and had weird hair and was socially awkward, like... Show us how that guy's disciples pray because they realized something. What did John teach? Repent and believe. And so this is what they're seeing is now someone is praying differently because they have a heart of repentance. They're saying now somebody has a humble approach. So Lord, teach us how to do that. And so here's the foundation of prayer. Prayer is rooted in in our hearts being repentant and us believing in Jesus. In other words, prayer is a privilege for a believer in Christ, okay? So I got to put some rails on this thing, all right? Put some rails on this thing because we pray in the name of who? Jesus, right? So a believer has a privilege to pray. Now this is not, okay, let me just show you some scriptures. Let me just show you this. Psalm thirty-five, fifteen. The eyes of the Lord are to, toward the who? Who? Righteous, right? Righteous. And his ears toward their cry. Psalm 66, 18. If I had to cherish iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have what? Listened. Listened. Psalm 45, 19. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Okay. So what you have, the Lord does not hear the cries of those who do not believe in his name. The Lord listens to those who fear him and they cry to, for salvation. And so I, I think... There is one prayer, the first prayer that God hears from our mouths is a prayer of repentance. That's the first thing he hears. So when we cry out, God, save me, I repent of my sin, that is the first thing that he hears. If you don't believe me, there are prayers that even believers will have hindrance in their prayer life. Let me just show you this. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands. Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Every woman's favorite verse, right? (laughs) Since they are heirs with you on the grace of life, so that your, what's the word? Prayers may not be what? Hindered. Hindered. So you have, God doesn't hear prayers of lost people. He hears a cry of repentance. He hears a cry of turning away from and a cry of, please save me, God. But even there's some believers 
that have trouble. And so who are these guys? These are men who aren't leading their wives. They're not loving their wives like Christ of the church. They're not treating a weaker vessel as like a, a piece of porcelain. And they're not treating their wives with respect and love and honor. And they're not loving their wives in this way. They're not leading their wives. They're not serving their wives. The servant leader is a Christ nail-scarred nail hand leader would. And he's like, that guy... Listen, don't even come and pray to me, is what God is saying, until you begin to lead your wife, right? That's, that's challenging, is it not? He does not hear the prayers of a man who's not leading his wife. It will be a hindered prayer. Is this scary or what? Okay, so what we have, there are some rails on the way that we pray. We don't say believer, unbelievers have the privilege of praying because unbelievers do not call God their father. They have a different father. Okay, so here's, here's how that affects my life as a believer and as a father. My son, Finn, is a sweet, handsome, incredible kid. I love spending time with him. I love, but here's the thing. When I pray with him at night, it's my responsibility to pray over him but I do not do the, may I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep, right? Angels watch me through the night, right? Or God is great, God is good, let us thank you for our food. By our hands we all are fed. Give us Lord a daily bread, amen, right? Let's see, right? Dear mother, thank you for the grub. Whatever it is, like I don't do that. And here's why. Because his heart's not regenerate, it's not changed. And so what I would be doing is saying, you're on our team, buddy. You know Jesus, and let me tell you this, that's not what I want. I don't want to make my kid out of a Pharisee. I want, to, I want him to be a God lover. I want him to love Jesus. And so my goal is this, prayers for a believer, man. Prayers for a believer. I'm not going to teach you how to pray until you know Jesus. And when you pray, then you'll pray biblically. You'll pray rightly because you'll pray out of an outpour, and outflow of your heart, not Pharisaical language that you've known for your whole life. You guys tracking with that? Makes sense, right? So we don't ask unbelievers to pray. And so, man, I, I pray for my son. God, when you save my son, Lord, help him, to, help him to grow. Help him to learn more about your greatness and your goodness. Lord, help me as a father not to fail him. Help, help me as a father and as a pastor. Help, me not, help, help him not to hate the church because of me, right? That's what I'm praying over, and that's my responsibility as my dad. I confess sin sometimes and let my son hear it because I want to show him, man, listen, the Spirit of God is in my heart. I'm responsible to be your dad. I have to pray this way so that you can see this is an outpour. I'm praying because of an outpour of my love for my father. So parents, I just tell you, just be very careful how we train our kids to pray, that it's not mantra language. Because in the end, that's, that's what the Pharisees did, is it not? So we want to train our kids to love and pray out of an outpour of our love for Jesus because it's a benefit and a privilege of a believer. All right, so disciples recognized there was a difference in the prayer and the repentant heart, and they wanted Jesus to teach them what that was. So notice Jesus' response here. Look at this. He said to them, verse 2, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Now, it's important that he calls him father. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of bring this out here later. But notice what he does. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom 
come. And so what's the intention of Jesus' prayer? To make much of the name of God. This is the ultimate goal in all of prayer that Jesus is setting up for his disciples. The way that you pray, the first thing that you must know that the name of God should be made known. And the expansion of his kingdom, the expansion of his gospel is primary. And so what he does is he shows us this model and this pattern of how we are to pray in this way that we're, our lives, our hearts, our soul, our mind, our strength are to make much of him. So, his name must be made much of in our prayers. That's the first thing. His name must be made much of in our prayers. And so, here's what happens. At Integrity, we preach through scriptures because we care about how the name of God is being shared. So the most important thing that you, the most important thing about you is the way that you view and see and live for God. It's the most important thing. And so what he does is he makes much of the name of God. And so by the way, when we, when we look at like the Ten Commandments, when he says like, do not take my name in vain, I don't think he's just talking about don't say GD, all right? I mean, don't say GD, that's important. But here's the other thing. Here's what I, here's what I really believe the heart is Don't claim to say something that God said that he did not actually say. All right? So if you're one of those people that's saying, God told me this and God said that and God blah, blah, and you're just throwing this thing out loosely and it's not according to what scripture says about God, let me tell you something. You're saying God's name in vain. Your your life is not being made much of the name and and heralding his name in the way that he wants you to describe it. So if you're one of these people that's like, why is you know why is doctrine important? Why is the Bible important? Let me. This is why it's important because he wants his name to be great. He wants his expansion of his gospel to continue. And so when we look at this prayer. This is Jesus' intention in the way that we pray, that we pray rightly about who he is. And our desire is to make much of him in every single thing that we do, in every single thing that we say. That is the foundation. So if you look at this, like a, like a checklist, like, okay, Father, how be learned your name? Uh, second is your kingdom come. It is not a checklist. Rather, it is a funnel. All right? This is a funnel prayer that every idea from hence after, all these things that are going to come from this are going to funnel down from make much of your name and let the expansion of your, kin- your kingdom to continue. Everything that he's going to pray after this, it, so this changes everything in this text, does it not? To those lenses, does it not change everything? Let me just show you. Look at verse 3. Give us each day our bread. Okay, give us each day of our bread. Does that mean give us all the food that we want, God? Is that what that means? No. It's give us this day our bread so that your 
name would be great so that your gospel would expand and would continue. So what's the desire here? Here's what the, here's what the prayer of Jesus is. Here's what he's trying to teach his disciples. Lord, I want to expand your gospel. I want to make much of your name. So, Lord, give me the amount of food that it would take for me to live so that I can continue to make much of your name. Is that not different or what? That's different, right? That's different when we look through it through that lens. Is God, give me enough food where I can live so that I can continue to make much of your name. Okay. Let me show you this. Jesus is echoing an idea that shows up in Proverbs. Proverbs 37, uh, 30, verse 7 through 9. Look at this. Proverbs 30, verse 7 through 9. Two things I ask you. This is a prayer. Deny them to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me. Least I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or at least I be poor and still and profane the name of my God. So what's this writer saying here? Lord, give me what I need. Yes, but what is he going further to say? Lord, I'm just going to be honest with you, Lord. This is my heart. If you give me too much, I am going to rely on too much. And I am not going to trust you. I am going to find my idolatry and my worth and my ambitions and all of these things and not you. So, Lord, just give me enough. Give me enough. And then he says this. He's real honest. I love the prayer of this proverb writer because he goes, Lord, if you make me too poor, I'm going to steal something, right? I'm going to go rob somebody. So, Lord, don't make me too poor. Just, just give me enough where I can eat and I'm fine. But, Lord... If you give me too much, I'm going to make idols out of these things. If you give me too little, I'm going to steal something. So he's like, he's being completely honest, is he not? But what does he say? Give me what I need. And Jesus is saying, he takes it a step forward, give me what I need so that I can continue to live, so that I can continue to make much of your name. And so this guy knows his wicked condition of his heart. But look at the next thing. And forgive us of our sins. Why? So that your name would be much, made much of, right? For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So this is a prayer of a person who is broken. And to be honest with you, I think if we were to be honest here in this room, I think this is the problem we have with prayer. Um, we don't want to deal with our sin issues, so we don't want to talk to God. Because we know if we get right down to it and we're, we're alone and our eyes are closed and we're on our knees, whatever it is, and we're asking God for something and then the Spirit of God begins to churn in us, hey, you've got to deal with this. You've got to deal with this sin in your heart. You've got to confess this. That's hard, isn't it? That's hard. And so what happens is, the Spirit, it seems to convict this level of sin. And so this person um, that Jesus is saying we should pray like this, it's we're praying in such a way that we're being honest with God. And that, that is a hard part. So why do we do this? For what reason? So that his name would be great. And then he says, Lord, forgive us our sins, for we 
ourselves forgive everyone. You notice this? You notice what's happening here? He is showing this person not only understands the grace that they've been given, but they also understand the reality of going and forgiving others and sharing that grace with others. So this is definitely someone who's had a changed heart. And then he says this, lead us not into temptation. Now notice this. This is the way that we should pray. It's showing signs that we are weak without him. And I love this because there's a self-awareness, I think, in our prayers that need to be there. There's a humble position. There's a humble status in which we go, to, go before him in a humble state of going, Lord, forgive me for my sins. It's there. Scripture tells us if we say that we're without sin, we're a liar and do not practice the truth, right? Lord, I'm not a liar. Lord, forgive me my sins. Then, Lord, thank you. Lord, help me to forgive others. And that's the result of action. This is what happens next. And then he says, lead me not into temptation. So he knows, hey, listen, if you put me in temptation, I'm going to sin again, Lord. So just help me through temptation. And he's crying out to him. And so I think I love this because this is a very self-aware heart. And so when we approach God and when we pray to him, we are to, be, we are to ask, Lord, reveal to me sin, Lord, because I'm, I don't know myself. When's the last time you thought, I don't know myself as well as I think that I do? I think there's a funny piece about that because we find humor in that because I think that's why American Idol was so hilarious during the first three seasons, three, three weeks. Because here you have, it's unreal, the most unaware people in the world. I am the American Idol. I will, I will sell out. I'm going to show him. Oh, he didn't think I could sing. I'm going to show him, right? And they're still walking out and they're leaving with this attitude like they, they've got this and you're just going you can't sing people around you don't love you enough to tell you that your mom is here with you she doesn't love you man she does not love you she's deaf or she doesn't love you right and so you look at this and you say this person's not aware of themselves how do they not know like can't they just like try to like do like i don't know like i know there's some things that you can look and see if you're even on key or whatever but i don't know what they call those but there's got to be something out there to show you can't not sing right but there's people that they run, and we find humor in it. We laugh at it. We say, oh, man, these people just don't know themselves, do they? Listen, how often are we honest with ourselves? Do we really know how weak we are? There's a, there's a thing in, in 1 Corinthians 16 where Paul tells the men in the church, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Are you aware of how weak, how silly, and how deceived you can be? So this is a person that Jesus is describing. The way that we ought to pray is pray in such a way that we are aware of our own wickedness. We're aware of his holiness. So our position is a humble position. Let's look at the next thing, verse 5. Jesus kind of tells the story next. And he says, and he said to them, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. And a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have said, no, said, have said nothing or I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The Lord, the door is now shut and the children are, uh, are with me in bed. I cannot get up and I, and I can give you anything. Verse eight, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because he is of his impudence, um, he will rise and give whatever he needs. 
Now tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Now, you look at the story, and it, it, it really becomes really difficult to understand what's happening here because if you look at it from this perspective of the guy who is in the house, it looks like he's just like, oh my gosh, will you stop knocking on my door late at night? He's like, my kids are in bed. And so you got this guy who has three loaves. He's this friend of this other friend. And this one guy who's knocking on his door at, at midnight, he's like, listen, food line wasn't open. And I, I just can't, I can't do this. And so the guy's knocking and he's, it seems like this one guy is ticked off. I'll be honest with you, man. If you wake me up, at, at, you know, in the middle of the night, I'm going to be mad too. And I, I think, honestly, my wife and I, we talked about this. Like, when we wake up, and if you wake up the kids, it's over, all right? But if we wake up, like, I, I have a really bad reoccurring snake dream. And um, it's a horrible dream. And if you are a psychiatry major, psychiatry major, if you're one of those majors, um, and you can interpret dreams, I want to know what this means. Um, I have a python on one leg that's squeezing the life out of my leg, and I have a cobra on the other side. And I'm trying to get the python off of my leg without making any sudden noises, because of, sudden movements, because I know that the, pyth- the cobra is going to strike. And it's a very bad dream. It's reoccurring. And um, the first, I think, week of my marriage, I, I hit my wife in the face when I was sleeping. <laughs> and, uh, and that's the only time I laugh when I say I mean, I'll never say that any other time. But anyway... Um, and it's a horrible dream, and so I'm wa- and and she wakes up, and the things that are said, I don't think anything counts between two a.m. and like five thirty, like because it's bizarre things that come out of your mouth between that time when you wake up. You're like, oh, you don't even like dinosaurs, and it's just you know, it just it, it just it's not unreal. I mean, I don't know if you're, you're married in this room, you know what I'm talking about, because it's just un it's, it's this irrelevant material that's being thrown out there, right? Right, your favorite channel seven, and it's just like what? I I've never liked seven. You know, it's just it doesn't make any sense. And so, this person is being woken up by this person who continues to go up, and is like, "I'm out of food. I can't." You know, and he's knocking, knocking, knocking. And this guy's, and it, and it even says, and even in his heart, he's frustrated with this guy. And so, if you look at it from the perspective of this person who lives in the house, he's woken up in the middle of the night, his kids keep waking up and crying, and this guy's bothering him, um, you're going to get some really messed up theology, all right? Because it's going to seem like God's like, okay, whatever you want, right? That, fine, I'll give you that. Okay, car, yes, you got it. Like, I'm tired of you asking already. But it, this is not the perspective that Jesus is telling you, because he gives you an idea. He says, if, if any of you have a friend that is like this, but here's the perspective that I want you to look at the story, not from the guy who lives in the house, but the guy who keeps asking He's telling the story so that you could see the guy who is persistent in asking. And we know this because look at verse 9. It says this, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. So so he's not saying, you know, if you get up and and give it to him the first time, you can come back to bed. The, The point of the story it's from the guy who is knocking. He emphasizes the very next thing in the very next verse. Look at verse 10. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now, out of context, if we were to take verses 9 and 10 and isolate it from the rest of the thing, what does it sound like? We can get whatever we want, right? If you just keep asking, He's going to get tired and frustrated, and God's just going to be like, 
There it is. You can have it. Right? You want to marry this girl? Fine. There it is. Right? But this is not the prayer. What's it all funneling down from? Remember that. What is it? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Everything in this prayer is through those lenses. So, when he says, knock, when he says, seek, when he says, ask, he's saying it through the lenses of, so that you and me can make much of his name. So, there is a persistence there that we ask. Um, We're not asking in the form of a mantra. This is not a prayer. Um, to be just simply memorized like it often is and it loses its weight and it loses its value when we make it a mantra. Like, I want to get this from God, so I'm going to continue. That is what other religions often do. They just continue to repeat and repeat and repeat over and over and over again. There's no meaning to what's being said. That is not the intention of why Jesus prayed this. You don't have to pray the exact words. By the way, when do we pray the exact words? Because we don't know the language that Jesus is speaking. Most of us don't in this room, Right? So we don't, what do we pray it in the King James, right? No, we can pray it in, in the way that it's intended to pray. It wasn't supposed to be prayed in some mantra form of, I know this, these exact words and now God's going to bless my life. No, it's pray, you're looking and analyzing this and you're taking it to heart and it becomes worship to God in the way that you do this, in the way that you pray this content, all right? So you can memorize it, but that's not the intention. So he's saying, ask with persistence, ask Often, pray without ceasing. Look at the next thing. It says, and it will be given to you. Okay, 1 John five thirteen. Let me just add more weight to this again. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his what? Will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that the request that we have asked him. So whose will is it? It's his will. And so here's the thing. There has never been a prayer that has been made. You've asked anything in his will that has not been answered for his good, for his glory, for his fame. So when I tell you, and we covered this a few weeks back, that your life is to be all about him and that your purpose and affection is to be all about him because God is a God who is all about himself. He wants his glory above all things because it is there that you find satisfaction and joy because he makes himself ultimate above all things. God is not there just for you, okay? It's not just about you. He's about you, but he's not all about you. He's all about himself. He's all about his glory because that's the best thing for you. Let's just say this. What if God was all about you? Let's just put it in this way. That means that he would need you. That means God would have no purpose without, if you didn't, if you didn't exist, God would have no purpose. Would that be dangerous to say that? If you didn't exist, God would not have any purpose. So God needs you. God was lonely. So he created a garden and put men in. No. That's not, that's not the God of the Bible. A God of the Bible is one who 
wants his glory, wants his fame above all things. So when we pray, he's saying, listen, pray that my will would be done because it's there that you will find joy. When my will is complete, when my name is made much of in your life, in your ministry, in your work, in your marriage, then you will find joy. God is not after your happiness. He's after your joy. He knows he's the one thing that can fully satisfy the longings of your heart. He says, listen, pray that my will be done in your life. So he says, and it will be given to you. So ask with persistence. Um, It will be given to you. The next thing he says, he uses language like this, seek and knock. Seek and knock. So it's not this lazy prayer. I'm just going to pray that, you know, that person gets saved. I'm just going to pray that, you know, I find a, you know, husband or a wife. And then the silly thing is, like, I know a lot of dating books tell girls, um, you know, just be patient and wait. And if you wait, then God's going to bring you the right one. Like, like if you wait where? God's going to bring you the right one, Right? Like, am I waiting in my apartment and then, like, the next delivery guy that shows up is the guy that I'm supposed to marry, right? No. You, you seek and you find, like, guys, I'm dating books are silly about guys, too. It's like, just, it's lot, when you're content, you'll find the right girl. Like, and all these guys are lying to themselves. I'm content. We're, you know, I, you know it's, it's a lot. And so, you know, there is a persistent, you know, you're looking. Like, you go and find. Like, you seek and find. So, there's times where you have to answer your own prayers. And so, for me, with, with Greenville... Um, when I was 17 years old, I had a desire. I, I love Greenville, and I, I wanted to see the gospel planted and rooted in Greenville. And so I would pray, and I got, God, would you please send a church planter to Greenville? The Greenville needs to hear the gospel. Greenville needs to hear and, and see much of Jesus and who he is and his character and his love. And Lord, would you please send someone to Greenville? And I'd pray over and over and over again. And I would go to seminary and meet guys in class. Hey, would you plan a church? Will you please go to Greenville? I've been praying for years. And you know what the Lord did? He allowed me to answer my own prayer. Ten years later, answer my own prayer. And so this is what I think has to happen. It's not this attitude of, I'm just going to ask and da-da-da. It's, it's a movement of maybe God wants you to answer that prayer. Maybe God wants you to, to make some action steps. And so I think God always answers prayer. Um, yes, no, and not right now. All right? And so he asked according to his will. And so we know um, that, that's difficult for us. But let me just show you his goodness and how he's asking us to pray. Let me just show you this, verse 11. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead give a fish, uh, give a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more the heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask so this is the foundation of our prayer that you have a father who cares for you who loves you who as scripture says you are an alien you were um, dead in your sins you have nothing inside of you that seeks after god but he says you have a father who's adopted you he calls you, as First John says, his children. And then he gives you the ability to ask in my name that I would make me much of and some more children would be adopted by this loving father. Scripture tells us in First 
Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all, what does it say? Circumstances. For this is the will of God in Jesus Christ for you. So we're praying that God, for you to be made much of is my desire, the expansion of my kingdom is my desire, or to help me not to have too much food where I make an idol out of it, or too much things where I make an idol out of it. Lord, just give me enough to where I can continue to make much of your name. Lord, if I get a million dollars, Lord, help me to use that to make much of your name. But Lord, don't help me find my hope in a million dollars. Lord, if, if I don't, if I'm poor, Lord, help me not to get where I would steal something. Lord, help me to find where the things that you give me is enough for you. And then he says, First Thessalonians passage says, in all circumstances. So if we have a father, as Jesus says, who gives us good things, there's nothing that, listen to this, if you're a believer, there's nothing that he will give you that will not ultimately bring to your joy. And that is really difficult. Because we know that not everything is going to make us happy, right? We know that we see people die. Um, We know that we see people get really sick. We know that some of us will lose our jobs. And we know that the economy is not in good shape, right? So we would say, well, I thought I prayed. and I thought I asked anything. Right, you did. And you know what? He's going to answer it according to his will so that, listen, expansion of his gospel will continue and that his name will be made much of. So for those who die that we pray for and we say, God, please, I'm, I'm praying, I'm asking Lord, for your will in this and they die. He's going to use that to be made much of and he's going to use that to expand his kingdom. He says in all circumstances that we pray without ceasing and we also rejoice always because we know that we have a sovereign God who's in control of all things and he's going to use what I love the Genesis passage that says what man intended for evil God intended for good and he's going to continue to use the tough things that happen to get the glory and so we have to pray through these lenses in such a way that it's not about us so my questions are this. How often do we persistently ask, how is our prayer life in the sense of, are we continually going to the throne of grace and crying out to God and say, Lord, this is not about me, but Lord, thank you for giving me the privilege to pray as a child. as one of your children. And we go to him with reverence. He's our father. So we go to him in that way. So how often are you doing that? And let me ask you this next question. What actions are you taking and how you pray? How are you answering your own prayers? Are you praying for that? I've been praying for my, and this isn't challenging for me, I've been praying for my um, lost family members for years. But let me tell you this, I haven't, made, I haven't made it my intention to go and share Christ with them. So this is a challenge for me. Is I've got to go and I've got to, I've got to be persistent and ask, but I've also got to make action steps and maybe let, allow the Lord to use me to answer my own prayer. The other thing is, what is your motivation in the way that you ask? What are you trying to get out of it that would bring glory to you rather than the glory of God? How are we praying through those lenses? So 
how much of our prayers go to make the name of God great. So everything in our prayers have to be seen through these lenses because Christ gave his life for you on the cross. He died as a substitute for your sins. Now, through that, you died this, he died this death that you should have died. He lived this life that you should have lived, and through that, Scripture tells you you are adopted children of God. And so everything from that is a grateful, thankful heart. God, help me to pray through the lenses of the gospel that your name would be made great. So let us come this morning and ask as the disciples, Lord, teach me how to pray. Let's pray.